Hello, amigos and amigas. Welcome back to another episode of A Toda Madre, the podcast with your girl, Sylvia Brands. Boop, boop, boop. Let me get some. Yeah. Okay. So with that being said, I'm glad I'm back. So full disclosure, full transparency, Myra and I have been getting in the rhythm. Well, Myra has been strongly encouraging my rhythm and we were doing well with podcast episodes. And then I went to Puerto Rico and I was supposed to come back and record some more, but then I got COVID. And if you follow me on IG, you know all about my stories. I had COVID down for 10 days, um, but I'm back and I'm here. We're trying to batch content, trying to get the goodness out to you guys because it's importante. So here we are. Anyways, um, I wanted to talk about what our monthly theme is, which is, um, la vida es un encanto, which is life is an encanto, which literally the word is enchantment. Um, but I'm so excited because this episode is really going to be based on themes from the actual movie Encanto. Um, so I think that's kind of dope. And this episode should be probably released after we have our workshop on Sunday. And if you're thinking like, wow, I would love to know the actual things within the workshops that continue to have every, that Sylvia continues to have every single month, then it's time for you to join the membership because the people in the membership get all the goodness, get all the good, good, get all of this extra exclusive stuff. Um, and those workshops are complete bangers. Like they're so good and they're so needed. And it's a really good opportunity for people to have just that extra time with me in a live format. It's not just you watching this recorded video. Like, no, we can have actual conversation about each and every single thing or the topics that are brought up, which is really dope. And I think that that's just like a really cool way to have more access to me. Um, so I strongly encourage me, I strongly encourage me. I strongly encourage you to reach out if you're interested about the membership program. Um, pretty dope, pretty dope stuff. Obviously I'm hella biased, but anyways, so let's hop in and do a deep dive to Encanto and what it's about. So this month, I really wanted to talk about a lot of generational patterns, right? So we hear this word, um, we hear generational curses a lot, and I don't necessarily love that term, excuse me, I don't necessarily love that term just because generational curses sounds like that moment in Sleeping Beauty where she like pricks her finger on the sewing machine type deal. And it's like, oh, she's cursed and she's like sleeping forever and true, true love's first kiss, blah, blah, blah. Obviously that's already in itself problematic, but curse always means something negative. And that might not be always the case. And we're going to be talking about different things um, based on certain words. But again, this is why it's so crucial that you're a part of the membership is because, um, the people who are just have access to the public one might not get all of those things. Cause right now I'm just recording, shooting content out. Um, and then Myra will then pick and displace <laughs> accordingly. So I hope that, Again, this is just an encourager to really join the membership so you have access to absolutely everything. Anyways, 
getting back to it. So generational patterns, the movie Encanto was the first time that we have seen our culture on the big screen displaying these types of stories, these types of narratives, these types of problems, and actually giving them a second to be highlighted, but also a space for us to see how they've affected us on our journey and how we grow up and how we move through this world, how we navigate just regular, ordinary day-to-day lives. So with that being said, I'm going to go through each character and we're going to talk a little bit about each one, which I think is different. And I know that initially when the movie came out, um, obviously, hello, if you're a parent and you have jammed out to, we don't talk about Bruno, I feel you. I am there. Um, yeah, yikes. I feel your pain. Like it's a, it's a, it's a jam that just won't quit. And anyways, whatever. So let's start talking about that. And we're going to break down each one. I will say that this conversation might be a little triggersome. Uh, this conversation might be kind of hard because it might be the first time that you're holding a mirror up to yourself through the breakdown. Um, a lot of us watched that movie and yes, it tapped on certain things or we felt certain types of way while watching it. But Disney has a really good way of like, you know, again, making it into a song, making the hard parts a musical um, because sometimes the ordinary just would have been too hard. And the reference I have with that is because like we can watch shows like Rosa de Guadalupe, which is like kind of like a soap opera narrative of like things that happen in ordinary cultural lives. Um, but a very dramatized version. And Encanto just gave us a kid like version with a musical, but they did a really good job in illustrating the real feelings, the real thoughts, um, and the real structure of our families and the culture. So with that being said, let's just dive on in and let's start with the very first one. So Luisa is one of the sisters and she is her, her gift that was given to her was the ability of strength. She is super strong. And as we know in the song that she like sings, she talks all about how she takes on everything for everyone else. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a line in the song where it's like, give it to your sister, your sister's older. Um, again, she's ready to continuously take on the burden for every single person. And without her strength, she is absolutely useless. Without her continuously li- giving that gift out to others and to absolutely everyone, the second she shows weakness or the second she can't, she's bad. She's no longer good. She's unworthy. Um, again, just all of the, again, the things that we think make us good aren't good enough. And I think for a lot, I remember when the movie came out, I remember a lot of oldest girl females 
within families really rose up. And we're really talking about that on different social media platforms because it was like, wow, I've never seen something resonate so hard. Um, And again, another thing that really came up was to not necessarily older siblings, but just females within those families. So in my family, I have an older brother and then it's just me and being completely transparent and not even talking shit about Sal. But in our family, if shit goes down, it always goes to me first and then Sal. Like Sal's always informed after the fact. Um, I'm calling him Sal because his name is Salvador. And in our house, we actually call him Chavita. So this is just me not putting him on complete blast, even though I just broke that down for you guys, whatever. So there's Luisa, the strength, right? And then there's Isabella, who Mirabel, for the most part, is talking shit about her because she's like, oh my God, she's always perfect. She never has a bad hair day. She's a suck, right? And that's how we view that person. We always view the Isabella in our lives as like, oh, she's so perfect. She does no wrong. All the things, right? And then that's just us putting that projecting, as a matter of fact, projecting that burden onto her of her life is perfect. She is so perfect. She does no wrong. But in reality, Isabella is struggling with this whole inner battle of being like, if I'm not perfect, again, I'm not useful. I'm not good. I'm not worthy. The second that I'm unperfect means I lose my purpose means I lose everything that I've ever had to offer. And I know a lot of us can really resonate with that as well. That we, um, again, in, in cultural settings, we've either always had to be strong or we've always had to be good. Be good, be beautiful, be polite. Because being an inconvenience or being Anything else other than perfect would be a complete burden and an inconvenience to anyone else. And I know that a lot of us can sit in that space and be like, wow, damn, truly. And then when it comes to Bruno, who is the weird or different outcast type of deal. That means uncle. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, Mirabel specifically says that in a, a line. She literally says, like, you know, I think being the family weirdo always gets a bad rap. And it's true. In the movie, we see that Bruno leaves the family. And at one point, people think that that was very selfish, or um, that it was very rude, or that the the when he was around, he was always like ruining things for everyone, or he was always just being negative, or saying the wrong thing, or doing the wrong thing. And then when he left, it was considered selfish, and you know it's something that again because it's a negative, we don't talk about again. Hence the song we don't talk about Bruno. And but in reality. It's just, 
he no longer wanted the responsibility of having to figure things out for everyone, but also being the weird one, having to take on that responsibility of like, oh, you're weird. And just accepting that. Oh, you're weird. Oh, you're the misfit. Oh, you're the this. Oh, you're the that. Again, continuous projections that truly don't serve him. But instead, the time that he's trying to be selfless because he sees a vision about Mirabel and he's being selfless and removes himself out of the picture so that he didn't have to say what he saw, he's considered selfish for leaving the family. He's considered a quitter because he didn't just sit there and sit it out and let it get taken out on him. And again, just like what the projections people are committed to giving you. And it's crazy because we do this a lot. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this at the end. But, you know, we are not the stories people project onto us. We are someone completely different if we wanted to be. Sometimes we become these things because we accept those projections and we believe that narrative, but that requires time and that requires a level of self-awareness. And we're going to talk about self-awareness in another episode, which I really hope that you have access to. If you're in the membership, you'll have access to everything. Again, it's a shameless plug. Now for the next person is Pepa, which is the nickname for Josefina. And I know that because I asked my mom. I was like, mom, Pepa, that seems like an interesting name. And she's like, yeah, it's the nickname for Josefina. So I asked for y'all just in case you didn't know that. Um, So Pepa is the very emotional mother of Antonio. Antonio is the little boy who gets his gift in the movie. Um, Pepa is just the very emotional aunt or mother of Antonio. Aunt of Mirabel. And she, again, she feels something and she freaks out. She will, um, if she's like feeling upset, it'll, she'll cry and it'll be like a hurricane. Um, if she's like tense, it begins to snow and she like freezes up. Um, just again, examples like that, just whatever her emotion is, she really plays it out. And within the family, you can tell in several instances, in several occasions, People try to guard what they say around her because she's very emotional about it. Or they kind of gaslight her and saying like, oh, here we go again. You're going to tell her something and she's going to freak out. And I know that a lot of us, especially women, people say like, oh, you're being too sensitive or oh, you're, um, what do they say? Oh, don't be crazy, right? That's always a a phrase that gets thrown. I remember hearing that from like past boyfriends, don't be crazy. And I'm just like, boy, you want crazy? (laughs) I'm just joking. This was when I was not as healed as I am now. Um, but, But again, it showed both spectrums of either people were really careful with what they said around Beppa or people were very gaslighted, gaslighty to her and saying like, Oh, here we go again. Look at her. Her emotions are just like going to completely take over. Like, blah, 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 blah. and 
So what it can do when we actually show our emotions or also another example of what it does when we don't know how to regulate our emotions, which I thought like, wow, that is so true because again, culturally, systematically, we're told bottle it up, keep it together, hold it down, um, sweep it under the rug, right? Um, act normal. God, that's fucking terrible. We're told all of these things because that's just that's just how we get down. That's just how we do things. Um, another interesting one was Camilo, which is I think it was whole yeah, it's Pepa's son who is like a shapeshifter. And he is the perfect example of chameleon syndrome. And that's a coined term by Sylvia Brands, Halafardala. And that means that you turn into whatever people need you or want you to be at a moment's notice. Um, and when they're singing, and it's so great. In the beginning of the movie, it's like um, La Familia Madrigal, right? It's like the intro song. And she's, Mirabel is showing what everybody's gifts are and what they can do and how they fall in place with her family tree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Camilo in that sense is like turning into different people. And one of the things that he turns into in the opening song is he turns into a mom who just had an infant baby to help so that she could take a nap. And you see the lady like pull out a pillow and like take a nap on a bench. And then he turns into the same mom and holds the infant child. And there's two ways to look at this. Yes, beautiful, because he's helping this brand new mom get some rest, right? Take a nap. And that's amazing. But then it could also be like he is serving so much to like help and do this and do that. And then there's another part in the movie where they're getting the house ready for like the gift ceremony where Antonio is going to get his gift in the evening. And Abuela just like says it like a command, uh, Camilo, we need another, I don't remember what his name was. Oh yeah. He's like, we need another Jose. And they show the character of who Jose was. And he's this tall man hanging up a banner. And Camilo literally says, Jose, and turns into another Jose so that he can put up the other side of the banner. And Abuela says it kind of like a command. And again, it's a perfect depiction of how our elders, they just talk at us, not really ask us, and we just fall in line. And so I could easily see how the chameleon syndrome in all of us, where, you know, you're talking to a specific person and you become, you shape shift, you change, you mold yourself into whatever that person specifically needs you to be. And, tr- and and I say this, guys, with like so much love because your girl was so good at it. Sylvia Brands back in the day could literally mold herself into whatever anyone needed. And I was really that way in relationships. Um, when I was dating or I had boyfriends, oh my gosh, the external validation was real. And I would absolutely modify everything about myself in order to be liked, be desired, and ultimately be loved. And I say that with like 100% transparency. 
Um, so that's a really good one to think about, which I think Camilo was often overlooked and it's like, oh damn, do I have that tendency? Um, Dolores is Camilo's sister and she can hear everything, but does not speak. She like, well, I mean, she can speak, but she takes on the burden of hearing everything, but not saying anything. Until like the very end when she had to like say like, oh my God, this is what I saw and it's Mirabel and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. I hope everybody's seen the movie. But Dolores takes on the burden of absolutely hearing everything of what's going on, but does not say anything. And I think that that goes back to the phrase of like, calladita te ves más bonita. When you're quiet is when you look the most pretty. And... Uh, or ooh, what's the phrase? It's like speak unless you're spoken to or like, oh, or when people say um, children are seen but not heard. And I feel like it's the same thing with women. Women are seen but not heard. There's that phrase as well. Sorry, it took me a second to like remember. But again, it's just so... Again, this movie is amazing because it played out so many of the generational patterns that we within ourselves carry. And then there's Julieta, who is Mirabel's mom, the sister of Pepa, and she is the healer. She heals everyone with anything she makes to eat. So like the example in the movie is that she makes arepa con queso. And she heals Mirabel's hand or like she makes buñuelos and she healed this man who broke his hand, etc. blah, blah, blah. And she is just the healer. And again, women, we do this. We see the potential in people and we want to heal them. We want to mend them. We want to fix them. Um, and, and we just don't see it, but we take on the role and we want to fix all the broken birds, whether it kills us or not. We want to take on that responsibility. And it was again, beautiful, but we have to think to ourselves, how far is far enough? So that's important to remember. And then there's Mirabel, who has no gifts whatsoever. And her, her literal life mantra, and she says it in the beginning and th throughout the whole movie, is how badly she wants to make her family proud. And so she overcompensates everything within her daily life in order to try to reach that level of trying to make her family proud. And I think that that resonates with all of us in some extent because we're always looking for that worthiness. We're always looking to give or receive that gold star from somebody. Excuse me. And then there's Abuela. And Abuela is kind of the keystone of the whole thing. And what's interesting is that Abuela gets a bad rap 
like I remember when the movie came out and everybody's like, oh, I love fucking sucks and all this. Stuff. <laughs> and I think that, you know, when people started saying that, I'm like, whoa, we missed the boat. We missed the boat. We missed the mark. Um, because again, if you pay attention and it did require watching the movie a couple of times to really make sure that I understood and digested what was going on because Abuela, yes, she is depicted as the bad person or like the villain, if you will, of the movie. But what it really wants you to understand is that Abuela wasn't necessarily the villain. Abuela was just doing the best she could with what she had and carrying her own bag of generational patterns that she had to deal with and kind of carrying as well just all of her own coping mechanisms that honestly like turned into maladaptive coping coping mechanisms because she just was trying to really live up to that narrative of, you know, we do everything for this family and we need to keep the magic alive and the candle and casita and all of those things. So for her, it was just like all of the responsibility went first. Everybody's emotion, feelings, uh, mental health was just absolutely secondary, third, fourth, fifth. Like it didn't even matter. Because again, she was going to carry out what she needed to carry out. And again, I remember when the movie came out, everybody was like, oh, Abuela sucks and this, that, and the other. But again, that wasn't the point of the movie. The point of the movie was, yes, at the end, Mirabel finally stands up to Abuela and she's like, you know, this is all your fault. And granted, obviously it wasn't supposed to go down. <laughs> it wasn't the best way to carry the conversation because obviously then the casita fell down all the way, but it did show that sometimes we do need to stand up to the person. And I'm going to talk about this in another episode. We do need to stand up to the person and have those hard conversations in order for that generational pattern to change or to end or just to completely run out. Um, we need to take accountability for what we're saying to that person, but also the action behind it. But again, it's also recognizing that Abuela at the time, for example, and again, they showed this, they showed this in the beginning of the movie. In the beginning of the movie, Abuela, like, you know, marries her husband and they are pregnant with these three babies. And then all of a sudden there's like danger and they're running away from someone. And it just sees that, that the husband passes away and she's left alone to care for three babies. And so in those situations, we have to find an adaptive coping mechanism just naturally that happens within ourselves. So that tells our body and our brain, et cetera. Okay. I need to do whatever I can to remain safe, to remain taken care of, et cetera. And so we need to do what we can in an unsafe situation to become safe. Now, the second that it becomes a maladaptive coping mechanism is when we use those same mechanisms that we used before 
is when we continue to use those same mechanisms in a safe setting and just continue to use them to keep people at an arm's length. That's when it becomes maladaptive. It's just, this is a non-dangerous situation and I'm going to continue to use those mechanisms just to keep you at an arm's length in order to build that wall, in order to keep myself safe, even though it is a safe situation. It's a safe situation in the fact that um, it can be resolved within a conversation. It can be resolved in a matter of advocating for yourself. It can be resolved in a matter of just having an energy exchange. But again, sometimes we view those conversations, uh, advocacy, energy exchange as scary because we haven't let ourselves be in those spaces before. And so that's something to super consider. And again, I want you to look at all of these characters and think to yourself, okay, now that I have this breakdown, who do I resonate with the most? And again, it's not like a, Ooh, I'm completely a Camilo or I'm a completely a Mirabel. No, there might be several of the characters within your characteristics or personality trait. But I also want you to ask yourself, what type of coping mechanisms do you have? And do you have them because of dangerous, dangerous situations where you've had to have adaptive coping mechanisms? And then furthermore, I want you to ask yourself, when did they become maladaptive coping, coping mechanisms? Like when did they become just the coping things that you use in order to just keep navigating through life? Even when it's a non-dangerous situation, what do you do? What do you tend to do? How do you protect yourself? And because generational patterns requires a level of self-awareness, and that's what I'm going to touch on next is in the other episodes is um, I'm going to be touching on self-awareness and boundary without a burden. But again, guys, I'm just really excited because we get more into detail about these specific conversations within my coaching program and within the membership. Um, because it's it's spaces that we don't get to talk about the most. If you're if you have heard this conversation, you're like, you know what, this really spoke to me. I feel like there's a lot of things here that I could really talk about or begin to just dissect and process. I really encourage you to join Atola Madre 2.0, which is the group coaching program that starts in June. There is a space for you. And again, I'm going to be sharing throughout the week, like all of the incredible testimonials of people being within the program. But also, I encourage you to become a part of the membership. And bonus, if you join Atola Madre 2.0, you automatically get access to the membership. So this is important. This is important. And I really hope that within this conversation, 
you can be honest with yourself. You can begin to be reflective and you begin to ask yourself, why do I do the things that I do and how I do them? What's the reasoning behind that? So there was a lot of food for thought on this episode, and I hope you guys really take a second to digest it all and hit me up in my DMs or email me if you're interested in joining the membership or our next cohort of Atoda Madre 2.0. All right, y'all. Thanks so much. See you on the next episode.